Greetings, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast for the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt, ages like fine wine. Or maybe a banana on the kitchen counter. I'm Thomas Johnston, and with me, as always, is my lovely sister, Mary Johnston. Hello! <laughs> Hi there! Right, today we have, a, we have an exciting episode um, about... Uh, two retired people, a sort of Ozzy and Harriet, or I assume the Honeymooners, having never seen it myself. Um, Cultural and... knowledge. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Wrapping up season one. In this tale of terror, we find M. Emmett Walsh as Jonas, a man who has worked comedically hard and long throughout his life, who has retired to enjoy the good life. But what he finds at home is that it's been invaded by animals that are the one singular love of his slightly batty wife. The frustration and ennui of retired life drives Jonas literally mad. And leads him to an end that is literal. <laughs> oh my god, what is are you okay? <laughs> what is happening? Look, I don't know what to tell you. This is an episode about like this dude and he retires and he gets all crabby and grouchy and he starts killing his wife's pets, and so she kills him. <laughs> the yeah. end. This is a story about a megawatt grouch who retires, hates everything, becomes crazy and destructive, kills all his wife's pets, and then she's like, enough of this, and turns him into a Frankenstein. The end. I was, yeah, I like, I like how about this. This is the story of a megawatt grouch who retires. He's miserable. He makes his wife miserable. She kills him. The end. The thing you were doing before when you were reading that description sounded like Garrison Keillor vamping. It was the weirdest. It was the weirdest, like combination of like of like pauses, but also sounds like you were just kind of like free associating. What was that? I need to breathe more through my nostrils. I'm trying to do a full Garrison Keillor. Oh my god! It was a quiet day in Tales from the Crypt. The crypt keeper was enjoying just a cup of coffee. <laughs> Jonas um, and Anita are about to find out that dead animals never pelt so good. <laughs> oh my god, that was a brutal pun. <laughs> brutal. All right. Mary, would you like to talk about the personnel on this episode? So uh, the director of this episode is Mary Lambert. Is this our first woman director? Um, I, oh, ooh, huh, I believe that's true. I think that's true, too. Also, definitely our first director that has my same first name. So this is our first Mary to be directed. <laughs> this is our uh, first Mary to direct an up. First, potentially last. Who knows? Um, but I think her background is really interesting, especially given that she's in this format. So before she made this. Basically, she was making um, music videos for like some pretty like pretty fancy people, mostly Madonna and most famously Madonna's music video for Like a Prayer. So she did that. She also did uh, Janet Jackson's Nasty Mm -hmm. Um, and she's worked with Mariah Carey, like all kinds of people. Really cool. Eventually, she'd work with Bobby Brown. Less said about that, the better. Hey, that's Um, her prerogative. It is. Uh, Um, uh. And uh-huh. so she made this, then she made Pet Cemetery, or she made she made music videos, then she mm-hmm. made Pet Cemetery, then she made this. And since then, she's sort of returned to music videos and she, occasionally she'll like pop her head up to make another horror movie, which is kind of like a weird, like she definitely has like, like, like a genre, but it's split between music videos and horror movies. It's kind of weird. And, and, and I would stress this, this isn't an especially music video-y horror movie either it's it's, it's just no. I, I just feel like you know what i mean when you watch this you're not like you're not like i bet this is a spike jones joint you know what i mean it's not no totally although i do think that 
like especially music videos of this time were sort of like, what's the theme? It was sort of like a kid's birthday party. It was just like, what's the theme? Ah, crotches and Jesus Christ. Got it. Got it. Got it. Like a prayer. We're done. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Let's ru- let's ruin that Pepsi contract. Yes. <laughs> Janet Jackson, um, you're going to your theme is fog and pants that are very tight around the ankles. Done. Mrs. That's- Jackson, if you're nasty, go. Go. Um, so I do kind of feel like we get a little bit of energy from that. And also I feel like, have you ever seen the movie Pet Cemetery? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Yes. I feel like that is very much sort of in line with the kind of story we're telling here and not just because it contains pets. So, and then, so we have, uh, Mary Lambert who has kind of this like connection to music videos and also horror movies. And then... Um, a Whitney Brown, who is who wrote the screenplay, and he is from SNL and The Daily Show, so he's like straight up just comedic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, cool, cool, he, cool, 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 cool. Which I think kind of you sort of see. I feel like the the tone of this particular episode is sort of weird. Like it's like hi, it's sort of like hyper reality. And yeah. so I think that that makes sense with all of those combinations of things. Like Mary Lambert brings like the horror movie sensibilities to the screen for sure, but she horror also movies. has kind of that like dreamy quality that like yeah. her music videos do too. Mm-hmm. But then you also have this like undercurrent where like they never like throw you fully into the deep end. Like everything is a little bit funny and like loose, which is appropriate because the ultimate the ultimate like story here is quite upsetting. I think, like, you couldn't, you know. Um, the, then The the, the bare bones of this story have the potential to be actually unbelievably upsetting, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think you in need. In a very different way. Yeah. So I think you need that sort of surrealist light touch a little bit. So I think it's like a really, it has like an incredibly solid um, crew for this particular mm-hmm. this particular piece. And then um, M. 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 Emmett Walsh uh, is Jonas. Jonas. And he is, he's basically just like, the entire cast is basically just ca- character actors. So he mm-hmm. has, um, his like his uh, IMDb says that he has a solid career for playing corrupt cops, deadly crooks, and zany comedic roles for his whole time. And he basically is. So he's like the racist cop in Blade Runner. Famous um, for being the, the cause of Harrison Ford saying the N-word, hard R, uh, in the much maligned voiceover cut. Yeah. And he's also uh, the apothecary who peddles poison to uh, Romeo and Romeo plus Juliet. Oh, no way. You're totally yep. right. Yep. I didn't, I didn't... Um, Someone and, didn't do their research. And more importantly, uh, he is still alive. He's 83. Um, and he still has items in post-production. So he's still working. That's awesome. Actively. I, I, ha- I have something to confess to you. The first time I watched this, I didn't do any research. <laughs> And I was like, is that H. Don Baker? He does. He's kind of one of those or people. Or Joe like, Don Baker, rather, like of yeah. MST3K. Yeah, he kind of kind of looks like a bunch of different people. But once once I looked into it, I was like, oh, yeah, he's just like he's in the background of everything. He's also one of those guys that has like an IMDb where it's like 14 pages worth of scrolling. Like he's Let's been in everything. Look, I'm going to say the two words that sum him up. Portly rage. Yeah, for real. Well, and Portly Rage, that can either be very funny or very upsetting. Yeah, yeah, like like Portly Rage, it's either like backfiring and like tripping on bars of soap or like Portly Rage that is the most malignant, destructive kind of hostility turned inward sort of thing. Yeah, he's either beating someone to death. He's either beating a prisoner to death while he's in handcuffs in a shower or he's or he's slipping on a banana peel. Right. Um, and then we have. And in this one, he kind of does both. <laughs> kind of does both. And so, uh, and then the other character actor we have is um, Audra Lindy, Lindley, who is as Anita. And she, of course, is uh, probably is the most like recognizable and famous person in this. She was Mrs. Roper in Three's Company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Roper in The Ropers. No relation. So, and I think she's basically wearing the same wig in this role. And then, and then finally, this is kind of a three. This is kind of like a three banana junk. Um, <laughs> if, if, if by that you mean there are actually three human beings <laughs> who appear on screen, it's potential. I mean, there might be. 
potentially like extras. But yeah, the only three speaking wait, people. Wait, wait, Mary, are you saying all those animals were also character actors? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Although, wouldn't you say that that the uh that the primate that plays Dunstan Shexton is a character actor? <laughs> Isn't le- <laughs> the main character I, I play characters like most of the characters that are orangutans. <laughs> my my character really is an orangutan. <laughs> I've gone full method. I, in fact, am an orangutan. <laughs> I was, in fact, born an orangutan. I was born a method actor. Um, then Martin Martin Garner uh, is their neighbor, Roy, and he I, he doesn't really have anything that he... He's like just like the most consummate character actor in that I'm like, Oh yeah, he looks familiar, but I can't really pick out anything that he's in. And when I looked at his IMDb, I was like, "Oh, this is why he's like the king of being on sort of like broad sitcoms for one episode, one episode of Welcome Back, Cotter, one episode of Mr. <laughs> Belvedere, one season, which is the same as one episode of other shows of Night Court." Like he's like <laughs> he's like he's kind of in everything, but not very much. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, what really this made me think about is I actually kind of wonder, and I'm going to pay attention as we go forward. So, of course, it's always exciting. And I think that when you, like, look at lists of Tales from the Crypt episodes, everyone wants to, like, talk about the episode that has Tom Hanks in it or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Tim Curry or Demi Moore. But I kind of feel like this particular way of telling a story might be better suited to character actors who can kind of, like, take take not much of anything and then build, spin out a whole character with like, with like a mood and personality using very little into something big in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. The show is, is shot with kind of funny old timey. I feel little rascals ish musical cues. And it's kind of shot like a demented kind of, uh, uh, Ozzie and Harriet or, um, uh, the honeymooners sort of thing. There's a lot of there's a lot, there's a lot of funny pratfalls. People sl- uh, Jonas slips on like dog toys and stuff multiple times. Um, and, it, and it's the thing is set up um, uh, as if it's supposed to be kind of a this guy retires and he just can't get comfortable and things are embarrassing and it's the worst. But then but then uh, as his anger and alienation intensify. He starts to become literally unhinged and and, and dangerous seeming, and they they start lighting him with green and red lights, which, as anybody who's ever seen Natural Born Killers knows, is the is the is the consummate mark of being mentally ill. And, and also, gets... also maybe the consummate mark of being the Grinch who stole Christmas, who after all is mentally ill. Yeah, yeah. He, he he was the ultimate example of hostility. And, yeah, um, uh. So it's kind of so. So I think this thing, this epi- this episode is structured a little bit like it's a a slow burn, sort of a pot boiler. Like you you're seeing the tension ratchet up and up and up and up, and then all the monstrous messed up stuff happens in like the last what like six minutes or something of the episode. Yeah, it's sort of a sl- it's more of a slow burn, which I think you tend to like. You're kind of like get the lead out, but I actually really like that in in a horror movie, like to sure. me or or like a, a horror piece. Like, I'm very fond of sort of, like, Southern Gothic or Haunted House movies, which are all about, like, winding up the tension, winding up the tension, winding up the tension, and then everything, like, bad happens in the last, like, 15 pages or 15 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, there's also a lot of, um, there's a lot of hacky humor in this. Um, in, in the opening scene, um, Anita is, like, te- is, is... Actually, what happens is the the, the opening credits roll, and then they sort of shoot this house, the interior of a house in a thunderstorm, and it's kind of shot a little spookily. But then, then, then Anita walks in the frame and turns on the light and has is carrying a cake, and it says like "Happy Retirement, Jonas" or something like that on it. And she's talking to a bunch of um, one is led to believe people off screen, like there's going to be a surprise party. Um, And uh, then she she hears somebody at the door and she opens it up and there's this stray cat and she brings the cat in and is sort of like, you know, fussing over it. And then Jonas opens the door himself and says and and, and he looks he looks dead on arrival. He looks like a corpse. He's just he looks bone tired. He's carrying a box of all the stuff that uh, that, like he's cleaned out his office. He says something like, you know, you shut the door right in my face. And we get a little exposition dump where we learn that he has worked for Suntime Hand Tools as the 17-year regional sales leader 
for the last 47 years, six days a week, 52 weeks a year. Uh, I will say I will say this is where I started thinking actually about the character actors, because usually when that happens in a, in a television show, I like I like kind of like smirk and I'm like, like, I'm like, oh, man, here comes the exposition Sally part of it where it's like, Frank, your cousin, Jonas, yeah, yeah. who worked at Sunshine Hand Tools. But he kind of he like does it well. And I think it's because he's a character actor who has to be like who basically is like, it's now my time to approach the footlights and point at myself with my thumb and tell the audience what my deal is. Like he does it pretty seamlessly. I was OK with his uh, yeah. I was OK with his uh, with his exposition. Well, and I think I think this is sort of a heightened, more artificial sort of um, uh, feel to that to the episode. Like it, it is you're kind of like, OK, this is a little bit like a like a like a sitcom or something. There's no laugh track or anything, but. Um, you, you know what I mean? That sort of makes you more like, 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 why, why would you tell your wife where you work? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> that's so true. It's like sunshine hand tools. She's like, sunshine hand tools. but I thought, I thought you worked. I thought you worked for Delco, you know, <laughs> Bl- <laughs> blimey. Is that what you've been doing for 49 years or whatever? But Jonah, anyway, the Jonas character is, um, uh, is, uh, is is actually sort of unhinged and crabby from the beginning. He's he he's he, he you know talks about how he's going to be home with his wife and then is so tired that he immediately has to go to bed and not enjoy the cake or the party. And he's just he's like he's just griping and complaining. And he's he sit he she convinces him to sit down at the table and he sits down on a cat toy, but he acts like he sat on a landmine. Like he sc- he yells and screams and stands up and like, like don't a- they know this is my chair? And you're like. Dude, like, what's your deal? Also, have you met a cat? Cats like prefer that it's your chair, right? Well, also, also, this 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 gets into something that comes up quite a bit, where it's just kind of like, I mean, I know he goes to work, he's at work all the time, but does he like not know what his house is like? Like, where he he frequently is marveling at the number of animals and pets his wife has, and you're also, like, are you like not paying any attention? Dude? Also, marveling at the layout of his own bathroom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't seem to like. He doesn't like super know how stuff works in his own home. Yeah, and we get we get to see um, a Chekhov's uh, a Chekhov's gilded hammer. He shows he 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 is of course complaining that they didn't give him a watch, but instead he has this like a literal like hand tool ball peen hammer that has been dipped in gold or bronze. One assumes, and uh, and and we see it for the first time and. I don't know if you know tales from the crypt. I feel like the you, you, the very first time I saw this, I was like, "Yep, somebody's gonna get hit with that hammer." <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, if if they if they didn't, what a waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a, what a waste of a good prop hammer. <laughs> um, but anyway, so right, so he he goes upstairs, and then um, we get we get the first of what I think of as the little rascals jokes, <laughs> where um. Anita like leads into the kitchen and is like, well, I guess Jonas went upstairs. There's no party. And it's and, and you see it as, of course, all of her cats and dogs wearing party hats. And they play this kind of like kind of music. Um, like, I don't know. Did you, did you not think that's sort of little rascalsy? It has that. It, it, it's like it, it, it is it is a, it is a super hacky joke. And they and they play it up in a way that sort of lampshades it a little bit. No, I agree with that. Um, I, I almost want it's just like an older style of comedy, old comedy or yeah. new comedy. That's right, old. Com- um, mm. but like basically, Jonas is like the biggest sour puss of right. a man ever, and it's really funny because you're just like he has always been this way. It's not like he's like f- like he kind of like loses it in retirement, but he didn't like love his job. He just liked it because it like added shape to his life and gave him something like to toil against and tire him out so that he could just like drift into a dreamless sleep at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then wake up and start it all over again. And I think I think that uh if we can dig into the character of Jonas a little bit, you know, he represents he is this hollowed out person who the loss the loss of his job talks about how he is mandatory retirement and all this kind of stuff. Um <laughs> is it mandatory retirement because he was too unpleasant? Yeah, well, he was regional sales leader for 17 years. Can you imagine this man being able to successfully sell anything to anyone? <laughs> <laughs> or be your boss? <laughs> hey, come in here and buy this hammer. I, I just like to imagine he's like going door to door. It looks like a door to door hammer salesman. <laughs> Demands that you purchase a hammer. From hey, let him. me in. Let me in so I can sell you this hammer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
the way that it's framed too, it's sort of they have kind of like one of those like generically like lower middle class homes where they're like might be like plastic on a on a floral couch. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really think that they live. I, I don't really think we're meant to think that this is like a Florida retirement village. Like, like, like. I think. No, that, I think that they live in like track housing. Well, but also it doesn't even have to be in Florida. Like, I, I, if this is supposed to be like you know, Pennsylvania, like I, I believe that. I, I think that it's just what we're talking about. Really, is retirement and the sort of way that. Oh, I thought our it was culture happening allows in for that. Huh. You think it's Florida? You I think those know. those uh, those deciduous trees he's chopping up outside look particularly Floridian? I think I mean, it's maybe. because, well, they look particularly plastic to me, which would yeah. make sense. Those those um, those very realistic prop trees. But anyway, <laughs> when he's like shaving those pine trees in his backyard, Jon. But Jonas is a is a, is a is a man who has no purpose now, and he's a, he he turns out that he's a hollowed out individual. He has no hobbies. He has no interests, and all he has is this sort of impotent rage at the world. And at uh, at being deprived of his identity, and the identity is entirely of being being a worker, of being exploited, and he essentially he 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 hates all these animals that his wife has, and is like constantly yelling and screaming, oh, parasites, and they cost money, and he essentially decides to destroy his wife's happiness for basically like like just mean, empty, nihilist reasons. Um, he decides to take up taxidermy and k- kills all her pets and stuffs them. Um, and I think that this 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 raises a good point, a, a good way of thinking about the way um, people are alienated in sort of a late stage capitalist um, in a late stage capitalist world. Um, people are alienated from alienated from the work, from the fruit of their labor, from the human experience, and from each other. And I think this is a message that pr- probably resonates now more. Than it may have done uh, at you know the the turn of a decade you know the previous decade, or maybe it's just new for us because like now we are people who have like steady jobs and are bringing home money and kind of like ha- are used to like the little grinds and like every time I get up to get coffee from the coffee machine I like realize that I've like trotted this path a hundred you know what I mean like. Sure. Maybe sure. it's just becoming like extra, like colored in, like all, like everything is, everything's becoming very real to us. We've, we've landed in late stage capitalism, Kansas, because when I was um, recording Stepford Wives a few weeks back for uh, Space Bras, sure. I did a lot of reading about it too. And it was sort of, it, that brought up a lot of the same themes where you have kind of this, um, this capitalism creeping into the home life and, and, and ruining it and destroying it. Um, but I would say that this, and I love the Stepford Wives, and if you listen to the, the podcast, you'll hear me sing its praises. But whereas that takes on sort of like this, like dreamy, like commercially sort of take on it, where like all the women are like obsessed with washing powder and stuff like this. This is more of like a lurid look of like people living desperate lives while surrounded by TV dinners. Like this is very serial mom. Or uh, that great cannibalism movie, Parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the way the the end scene is shot reminds me of that very much. So. Yeah, and like, um, there's another movie I watched called Eating Raul, which is mm-hmm. uh, which is in the Criterion Collection, um, and is wild. It really reminds like the the acting, the style, the cinematography style, um, and sort of the content of it all reminded me of Eating Raul. Mm-hmm. Which is basically about people who want to get ahead in life, so they pretend that the woman, that the wife, is um, a sex worker, and when the guys come over, the husband leaps. When the Johns come over to their house, the the husband leaps out of a closet, brandishing a frying pan, and whacks them on the head, and they kill them that way, and then they rob them. That is the whole story. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like this kind of plastic, comfortable, middle-class burbs as this backdrop to, like, true existential terror. Like, yeah. what? Why are, these pe- why are these people waking up and, uh, and hopping through their automatic sprinklers to get their paper every day? Mm-hmm. Why, are these, why are these people, like, why are these, these women who stay home basically allowed to stay in their jammies all day? Because they don't have, really have anywhere else to go. Sure. Why do their men come home from work, from working so hard to give them this life, and then hate everything about their home life? 
what I think is interesting about this episode, though, is I don't think there's any indictment of consumerism, uh, which is which is one of the big saw, uh, you know, one of the big old saws to trot out when you want to poke fun at suburbia. Um, Because, you know what I mean? I don't that we don't he doesn't he doesn't want anything. He just he just is anger and Nile. It just he's just a ball of rage. Uh, and you see him get kind of progressively more militarized. He he starts dressing in camouflage <laughs> when he's outside, and I, I don't I can't tell if it's supposed to be military or maybe more like a hunter to sort of like uh, to declare that he is opposed to these animals and nature. He also is very angrily pruning all these trees, uh, basically into into nothingness in his yard. Um, yeah, I think that they focus more on sort of like the control and the conformity aspect. Like he himself is not a normal person. Like sure. like he, like yeah. he's he's very weird, but he hates how weird his wife is and he hates that she's like created this little community of squatters which are like animals inside his home. He just yeah. wants her to conform. He wants her to do the things he wants her to do and he wa- and he doesn't want to be embarrassed by her. The thing that makes him really lose his mind, like, he, like there's all these animals around and he kind of hates that. And he hates that, like, the animal, she cares for the animals so much. Um, even though I think at the same time she is caring for him pretty well. Like, she makes him breakfast. She, like, she, like, talks to him. She, like, rubs his shoulders. Like, she's very sweet. But um, the thing that makes him really lose his mind is when Roy tells him that Anita has always been this way and, like, commonly sits out in public with a squirrel on top of her head. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's that... like, he's basically just like, Jesus Christ. And I think I think we, we should maybe talk a little bit about Roy here. Roy is the, like, like the well-meaning. He's not even really, like, a cartoon nosy neighbor. He's just, like... Like Jonas's neighbor who comes over and is like, you know, howdy, stranger. You know, oh, you're he's tired. Like, like, he's like neighbor McNeighborson. Like yeah, he's, he's like just, he's he's he's, he's, he's a, neighbor a neighbor that he's a neighbor that like does not exist. Where he's like basically personalityless and like kind of knows too much about what's going on in their home and feels totally comfortable just swinging open the door and coming right on in. But like yeah. has no real story himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he he gives he keeps giving Jonas model airplanes, all of which are warplanes. So I think that uh, I think this speaks to sort of this toxic, uh, isolated radicalization that Jonas undergoes, where you know he's now accessorize he accessorizes with camouflage. He's starting to accessorize with literal literal war playthings um, to uh, to kind of I think speak to this 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 misplaced hostility and anger that he feels. I also think that, well, so he rejects those things. He, like, crams them into a box. They're not good enough for him because he actually has to kill real living things to feel right, good. Right, right. But, but even then, even then, so does that mean, like, the healthy thing to do is to, like, build toy B-1 bombers? I kind of wonder. So I think that there, that is part of it. Like, I think that Roy is is acknowledging his rage and probably Roy has his own rage. I think it also maybe suggests that there was, like, some, like, there maybe they're veterans in some way, potentially, I mean, as well you, as the fatigues. If you, think, um, if you think about the age that he is, oh, he looks ridiculous in that camo, though. Like these guys, these guys, if these guys are veterans, they served in like Korea or World War II. That's true. They would be wearing like they would be wearing like a hoorah, like polo shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I think really what it's getting around to is that your retirement is supposed to be the time in your life where you can kind of like play. And it's sort of a return to carefree days of childhood. Like, like literally, his wife is becoming Snow White. She's like a little girl with her animals. She dresses them up. She, like, gives them cutesy names. She, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then she Roy does explicitly is, say that she sees them as her children. Uh, you yeah. know, she, they, they provide the domestic She's, solace that, in a sense, Jonas was unable to provide. There don't, there are no, they don't seem to actually have children. Um, yeah, no. And, She's, like, playing house with these animals. Basically. Right, right, right. And then um, and then you have Roy who's kind of coming over and he's like, well, maybe that's not your deal. But but maybe here are some toys that you would like. Like maybe yeah. these are some fun, fun things that you would enjoy because now you're mm-hmm. you're in the you're in the like kind of your salad days. Like you can like have fun now. That's mm-hmm. what this time of life is supposed to be. And instead, Roy wants to drag back in um, r- the kind of the detached work and the uh, the sort of rigid normality back into their lives. He does not actually want to relax. Yeah. Well, he 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 maybe doesn't know how. I think it it would be interesting. Do you think 
like Jonas is obviously not a normal person. Was he crazy before he left or is he a man that's been driven mad by the demands of work? And, uh, you know, maybe if you're if you swing this way, the demands of capitalism have hollowed him out and scraped away his humanity such that he is now a permanently broken psychopath. Are you asking me if I think that that Jonas sprung from the womb ready to lose his shit over a cat toy? Uh, maybe. I mean, just to say, I think because I, I think that because I think that what we're seeing is um, these guys are kind of I get you mentioned this sort of lower middle class. But I think this is this shows because this isn't quite like the suburbs are the worst. I think this is kind of more like uh, work and the system will suck you dry and leave turn you into a monster. Um, I agree. More I think... my read with, with with Jonas anyway. Well, right, and but their house and like the class that they are, and like the yeah, assumptions yeah, yeah. we can make about their income, I think are supposed to show that like Jonas probably did work like really hard. Like we tell about, we talk about the hours, we talk about how he worked six days a week. Like he did work really hard, and for what? Like kind of like, kind of like like conformity, like like a, like a modest conformity, and like kind of like in a cheesy neighborhood. Yeah, like he's yeah. just, it's like it's so it's so paltry. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, right? He worked so hard, so now he can eat like canned tuna fish on white bread. Mm-hmm. It's, but I think that's like a reality, you know. When you really think about it, like we work really hard our whole lives, and I think a lot of people are like worry about like you know how will I ever be able to retire? Will I ever have enough money? And we have this kind of at least a deep sense of guilt if we're not saving for that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like what you have will only afford you like kind of the lifestyle you had when you were like slightly better off than a college student. And also, also your body is like a hundred percent worse than it was then. So everything hurts and you're just kind of waiting to die. I do think it's worth remembering though, also that this was made on the, you know, on the far side of the, maybe the near side, whatever. This was made before the great recession. You know, I think our generation maybe has a, more jaundiced view of the American dream and, you know, whether we will have it better than our parents. And if, 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 if working, working very hard so you can retire is, is even, is, is, is one worth it or two, even a reality that, that, that we will experience, Um, which is why, which is why I think, I almost think this episode seems more timely now um, when you see this idea of, um, uh, you know, frankly, to to spill the beans, impotent white male working class rage, uh, leading to um, destructive and mean-spirited behavior against women and animals. That sounds unbelievably timely right now. Yeah, um, petty, but, petty little tyrants of like, of like angry, puckered anus men. <laughs> like, right, yeah. right, right. Totally. You know, like he's not, yes, he's not wearing like a dry fit golf shirt or driving in an, F, uh, in an, in an F-150 pickup truck or having to be armed whenever he leaves in case, you know, God forbid a minority might might try to speak to him, you know, but but he Jonas represents all of that bad toxic parts yeah. of our society. Well, and the part that I think is sort of dated about this potentially is what I think what you hinted at before, which is I don't really think it's like an indictment on consumerism so much sure. as it is more like, you know, Jonas, you seem to have been really unhappy for a really long time. You should examine your life. Like what the fact that you felt like this was the right thing to do, like conformity is the right thing for you just so that you could be normal and like and like live this life which makes you deeply unhappy. That that's a failure which feels way more of this time period of kind of like the late 80s. Like that's that's definitely like right up John Waters's that's like his bag, right? Yeah, is like I, having delight, delightfully nonconformist people doing terrible things. Sure, sure, but I, I think that the, the critique is is more interesting and, and I think more powerful. I think uh, critiques of consumerism are, I you know, it's fine, but I think it's ultimately a fairly shallow critique because the problem is not you know you're buying too much or you're buying the wrong stuff. It's that it's that our economic system is 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 is, is fucked up. And that, you know, um, it chews people up and spits them out and it exploits people. And, and we're all co- we're, most of us are cogs in the machine. And, um, you know, no matter what, what what little joy you may wring out of life can can be ground down into nothing. Um, and, and, and you're left a broken person who, you know, hurts the people around you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, and I'm not saying that consumerism is, bad, is not is not bad and that we don't. But that, 
you know, in the in the face of in the face of global capitalism and and reports about how we're going to literally cook ourselves to death on this planet, um, and that there is no real solution or end in sight, we're just going to consume and burn. Um, yeah, you know, at this point, the consumption is not like maybe you should stop using so much styrofoam. <laughs> you know, like like it's not the problem is not an individual problem. The problem is a systemic problem. And I don't think we see a lot of critiques where where the thing is like, you know what? Work is messed up. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Well, that that's definitely like a theme in Stepford Wives. Like it made me think a lot about how you have sort of these communities where people where people kind of forget how to feel connected to each other. And when they see people who can form communities or need to form communities because they feel they feel repressed in other ways or like or um, oppressed in other ways that uh, that they can't handle it. They hate that. Like, that's why he hates these animals. This woman has, like, made her own family of things that she truly loves and enjoys. And he doesn't like that. He wants he wants her to he wants her to replace the things that give her life meaning with like sort of a detached duty to work she doesn't enjoy, which would yeah. be right taking care of him. It's sort of funny. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. he wants her he wants her to, to to stop doing the things that he that she's enjoying and dislike the, her duties as a wife more. Right. Yeah. But I mean, but he also doesn't really want her to take care of me either. I mean, he, he, he hates like he just hates every he hates everything she does for him, too. I mean, and that's why he's a miserable person. I mean, you know, right. I, I understand. Yeah. And I think you're I think you're right. Just that, like, he, he is placing her in an impossible situation. There's nothing there's nothing she does that will make him happy. Well, and they're not very good at living to, living together. Let's talk about that whole bathroom scene, which you thought went on for a really long time. But I super enjoyed yeah, so they're they're they they he wakes up on his first day off having slept until what is it eight twenty one or eight twelve or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. And it's the latest he's ever slept since he was seventeen years old. And uh, he goes in the bathroom and his wife is in there, and uh, they awkwardly brush teeth together, and they like bonk heads when they lean in to spit in the sink, and they use the same towel to wipe their mouths. And she says, "You look like a rabid dog," and he doesn't like that. <laughs> and he leans over and his glasses fall in the toilet. And, you know, it's full of this kind of like wah, wah kind of stuff. It's sort of like he's never been in his own bathroom. Yes. Or or, or, or maybe a bathroom. It's like when you try to uh, navigate your house in complete darkness. Like you're like, I'm not going to turn on a light. I can find my room from here. And you like bump into furniture. You're like, do I just like not live in my house? How do I not know where stuff is? But he, but he's doing this broad daylight. It's as if he poked himself in the stoutly in the eye with his own toothbrush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> I like the I, I liked the scene. I felt like it was like a a really great way of showing. Another thing I really liked about this about this episode is that it's about old people, like mm-hmm. geriatric people. I feel like horror movies generally, if they have an old person, it's like age through the eyes of a young person and that's like the horror element but Mm -hmm. instead the horror element of this is we work really hard we try to fill our lives with things that give it meaning and then at the end of the day we we have traded all we've traded all our intimacy with the people that that love us um for because we like we're we're chase we're chasing after some sort of like sense of duty to work um and i think that grab that brass ring yeah, and I think that the the scene in the bathroom is like a really a really like cool and sort of deft way and funny way of showing that they have like no intimacy whatsoever left in their relationship. It's all just been sucked out, especially when he like he comes in initially to poop. You know this. He comes in, sees that she's there, he's like looks at the toilet and then he's like I guess I'll brush my teeth. So they brush their teeth together and he like has to poop the whole time. And then when <laughs> finally, finally after he like fishes his, his glasses out of the toilet and stuff. And she's just like, kind of like lollygagging around there for no reason. Cause she's never had him in the bathroom. The same time as her. He's like, I need to sit down. Are you going to make me say it? He can't even be like, girl, I need, I need to deuce. Get out. Like, <laughs> I have to make, let me make. Yeah, like he's, 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 I have to sit down. They're not even intimate enough for him to, uh, to say he needs to poop. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it is, it is, it is a, this is a fake, fake TV show from the past. 
you know, like the the, real, the the reality they live in is like a you know, like a TV show from the from the forties. I suppose, but I felt like I no, felt no, like no, even no, no. then, I, you're right, you're even right. then, you should be able to like tell your significant other what's going on with your <laughs> bodily functions in those in those respectful and loose terms. Yes. Yes. Can I respectfully offer a, an, another another way to think about this? Um, it's uh, the, it's not certainly not explicitly um, something that uh, Marx understood, but there is something to be said, I think, of the family as the state made small um, in that. Um, and this is something that like materialist feminists like to talk about that um, Jonas represents. And you as a male feminist would like to comment. That's right. That's right. No. Um, uh, that, 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 that there is this idea that there's a distinction between productive and reproductive labor. I don't love that lingo, but productive labor is like what traditionally men do, which is like work outside the house and earn money and come back. And reproductive labor is really actually like domestic labor. It involves like children, but also like taking care of the house and cooking. And so sometimes you have suggestions of, you know, uh, in the turn of the century, like maybe women should be paid wages for the housework that they do. And I think that, um, in a sense, he represents he represents this too, right? He can oppress his wife because the labor she does is garbage, and the labor that he does is what's really important. Uh, and he has this totemic golden hammer that represents that. Um, and uh, in the end, of course, she rises up against him, against his inhumanity and the like literal terror state he has instituted in their house, where he destroys the only things that matter to her, and she finally kills him with with she kills the master with his own tools or perhaps she seizes the uh, uh, economic power the f- that is represented by that and, and strikes him dead with it um, or maybe she forces that you know the 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 capitalists who who employ him force him to retire with the golden hammer and she forces him to retire with the golden hammer in a permanent fashion she retires him. Right, which is great because, right, he plays the, the cop in Blade Runner and they talk about retiring the replicants. <laughs> He's like, that's all I do. <laughs> all I do is retire. Um, Yeah, I mean... It's pretty, it's pretty, he's a pretty frightening madman, madman. Um, You can almost see, I'm kind of, I'm thinking a lot about what you're saying about sort of like the state made small and like what a, what a horrifying, uh, what a horrifying mirror to sort of the larger picture. If like the thing he can do. So, so the ultimate, the ultimate story here is right. She has this hobby, this hobby, quote unquote, which is right. taking in animals that sh- that show up on their doorstep. She takes in stray animals, right? Yeah. And like, and gives them a home. And he needs a hobby, so he's like, "Well, we have too we have too many of these animals. I don't like them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be a taxidermist and I'm going to kill them and then give replace put these animals back into like circulation in our home, but as static." like right. proxies of their original forms. But so like I think I think that that's a a pretty a pretty shocking indictment of of what work has done to him. If that's I, I, if if that's what his boss has done is taken has taken the the flesh and blood people that have worked for them and and churned them out as as stuffed proxies. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty terrible. This also, I bet, was an episode that really upset me as a kid. I was, I really love, I still do really like animals, but I really liked animals when I was a kid. It, so it, I'm it, sure I was not a fan of, of when he's like just in the basement stroking all these dead animals. Yeah, it's so awesome. I think that the the way the way they do the reveal is great because um, it goes from this kind of, and he does hilarious things. Like he tries that you see the the homicidal urge takes him when he's wearing the camo and he sees this cat and the cat knocks over one the cat knocks over this pitcher of lemonade and he's got the shears and you're like, Oh, he's going to get the cat. And he's like snapping the shears here, kitty, kitty. And then hilariously Pratt falls and slips into this like shallow feature. Yeah. The shallowest pond you've ever seen. and gets covered in mud. Um, and then, uh, you know, and so, so it's sort of like defused with comedy, but it's all business at the end. Um, the wife has a has a bulldog that she named Jonas after him, which he finds the most offensive and disturbing thing he can imagine. And uh, 
she says she, she mentions that she hasn't seen him for a couple days and goes out front and he says oh i think i heard him out front and he goes out front and the dog has been stuffed and rendered a robot he has like a car remote control or like a like a like a yeah like, like an a rc car AC controller car, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it doesn't move the dog but it does make his eyes light up and then he gleefully in a, in a very unhinged way explains that my hobby is taxidermy and now i can enjoy the animals too and you can tell it's like complete bad faith he he wants to hurt his wife and make her suffer. He wants to inflict his pain on his little petty kingdom, which he is the the the, the tyrant of this the petty tyrant of this family is. Um, that is, I think, well trod territory in terms of like the critiques of the family and everything. Um, you know, right? If he had kids, he'd be like forcing them to get married or divorced or whatever too, just just because he can. It's inflict yeah. his pain on the world. And and then, then the thing totally becomes straight up horror movie. She goes downstairs and he, you know, swears at her and tells her to get out. This is his space. And she realizes that all of her pets are like dead and hung up in various stages uh, down there. And he is like stroking dead animals with like a look of like sexual like bliss. Like he <laughs> he's so gleeful. Yeah. And he reveals to her that the cat that she loved the cat she took in in the beginning that is is still alive and he's going to kill it kill it in front of her with chloroform um and then his collection will be complete which uh, sidebar is sort of a sort of a weak connection i don't I, I guess the collection is all the animals she ever cared about um I, i'm not quite sure what the collection is the episode is called collection complete but it's kind of uh, whatever um well, i but mean she, maybe i mean like she, a lo- i guess loose connective tissue is sort of like this idea, this idea of grabbing the brass ring and like completing things and like yeah, earning yeah, sure. points and earning his hammer and things like that, like maybe that's I, what I it mean, is. I mean, I guess, but you know what I mean. It, it's it's kind of, it's one of these things where you're like you're like I could I could say a bunch of true things that might tie this together, but it this seems a little bit thin. But it, fine, it's fine, it's fine. Um, they're shining green lights on his face, so we know he's gone completely insane. And uh, she bang bang Maxwell Silver hammers him. Um, which is awesome. Uh, and uh, all of this is done also, even though we've described it, with, with, with like minimal to no gore. You know, they're just... They're I don't think there's any blood in this episode. Yeah, I don't think so either. Not that I can recall. Um, and then we get the reveal where nosy Parker Roy comes in. Or you see her, they're watching Lassie on TV and uh, Jonas has his back to the, to the, to the camera. And she's talking to him. Wouldn't you like some tuna fish? That's your favorite. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, 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 I'll make you lunch. It's so good to have a man to take care of. And nosy Parker, Parker Roy basically just lets himself in and is like, hey, kids, just checking in. <laughs> and um, she talks about how Jonas has really slowed down and think he's really embracing retirement. And then we see that his that he has been stuffed. His face is a is a map of scars and he has taxidermied eyes. <laughs> and then Roy. <laughs> opens his mouth like oh for and makes no sound and it's another little rascals moment because like we, he does that for what feels like a good 90 seconds like oh my goodness and she's like yeah it's great and then the episode's over my critique is i want the women who do bad things in these episodes to get away with it I don't like that she only gets has, gets to live with her taxidermy husband for like I don't know what like a week at most. I mean, how long before Roy is like busting in there to like check on them? I don't know. Maybe maybe she does get away with it. Who's to say that Roy's gonna Roy's gonna tattle? I mean, Roy Roy reacts in like a way that is very normal. I mean, you know, it would be yeah, like well, <laughs> nor relatively how, how, how great like but we you and I can imagine all kinds of nightmare fuel endings for this like. If this was a if this was like a modern Masters of Horror thing, you could imagine this being shot completely differently and like a really nightmarish thing. And the end just sort of implies that she's going to like live in her house like like, you know, with with hoarded dead animals around her with this like dead, decaying husband that she'll like interact with and talk to. Like that could be really creepy. Totally. Um, She does. She does have live animals at the end, right? um, I think so. Did you notice that also she has dressed Jonas in a. And what looks like those goofball suits that they that you can buy that are like polyester and are like pumpkin print, like a like a yeah, she like a David him. S. pumpkin suit, but it has like animals all over it. Yeah, she's dressed him like I don't know. It's sort of I agree that the ending for me is I like it. It on paper it makes perfect sense. Like it is yeah. what what should happen, right? Um, mm-hmm. I feel like tonally they knew that they couldn't. Like I I totally agree that. 
they can't give you like the, the dead animals look kind of cartoony and fake. They look like stuffed animals. I mean, um, or, or and really, frankly, like some of them look like just actual straight up taxidermy animals. Yes. Yes. But they don't look upsetting. And I understand yeah. why that is, because if you showed that to an American audience, they would lose their minds. Yeah, yeah. I do think we could have handled a slightly less cartoony end to it. Like, mm-hmm. I think you could. And I think that Roy does make it very cartoony. I mm-hmm. think it could. You could have had something where she's like sitting at the, the breakfast table with him. And there's like and maybe even he's talking to her, but it's in a totally different tone. And it's sort of a psycho ending where yeah, yeah. it's clear yeah, or- that like she now has like. He's he's a dead person and like make his vestige very upsetting to look at. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like they kind of pull back because they they were afraid. I feel like they were afraid of their own power with this episode. Th- they were afraid th- of making yeah. it very upsetting. Right. Right. I mean, or, or or at the very least, right. She's talking to him and then Roy comes to the door and she like somehow sends him. Jonas isn't really feeling well. He's starting to slow down, you know, kind of. Yeah, something I, I do. Although maybe. um like when I started thinking about this kind of this concept of proxies, I was like, well, so like the bulldog in its live form is a proxy for him, right? It's kind sure. of this like grouchy, portly little animal that like stomps around their house. It's just more pleasant than the actual human Jonas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so to 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 conf- to force his wife to control to conform to his wishes he kills that animal and stuffs it and makes it a proxy of its itself mm-hmm. and at the end she kills him and makes him a proxy of his self in a way that is more pleasing to her mm-hmm. so I, I don't know i mean like like the end does make sense i just think that it would be more powerful if it was a little bit less um silly yes yes i agree i agree Hundred percent, and I think you're right. I think they had to kind of, but to- and tonally, it it is tonally it works, but it's also a little bit. Um, it, it it is a tricky uh, needle for them to thread. I think, but yes, I, I would prefer a little bit of a darker ending. Even even if it's just that she's talking and it's revealed that he is stuffed and dead. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fine. Mm, done. Oh, let's talk about the bumpers. So. I forgot how much you see of the Crypt Keeper's feet and weird little body in the first season. They uh, they really experiment. I think that his face was like less of a big deal, probably like less of a... a yeah, yeah a, it's less mobile. It's, it's not as good of a puppet. Yeah, it's not as advanced of a puppet. No puppet. But yeah. he... Um, so I think that they try to do a lot of like body work with him and they're like experimenting. They're like, we're going to have him dressed as Santa and walk across the room. We're going to have... We're going to show his little weird leathery feet. Now he's going to be standing next to a Greek monument. It's very weird. Which I guess I guess, you know, like the Muppets existed and it turns out that the stuff that works for Muppets and Sesame Street is what works for the Crypt Keeper. Like just kind of show him like basically from the chest up and he can just like talk and kind of move around, but like not too much moving. around. Yeah, like Um, all of his clothes can basically be a dicky. Yeah, right, right. I guess that's not rocket science, but I do appreciate that they're sort of at least trying things out. But we see his little yeah. feet. He introduces us to his dog, who is named Peeves, his pet, Peeves, which, mm. you know. Solid Peeves, joke. Peeves the poltergeist. Solid joke. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. And then at the end, we see his feet. His body, he kind of looks like Yoda a little bit. Yeah. I um I was home by myself when I watched this episode, mm-hmm. and I considered how frightening it would actually be to see him move around, not only because he's, like, a little leathery corpse, but also because he's, like, kind of a weird... Like, how tall do you think he is? Oh, man, I was I was going to ask you the same question. Based on this, I mean, it looks like he's, like, I don't know, what, like, like, like three feet tall, maybe two feet tall? Right, because is the Crypt Keeper supposed to be just like a human corpse? Like, how big do you think the Crypt Keeper is supposed to be? And before you saw this episode, how big did you think he was? I mean, like, how big do I think the actual puppet is? No, 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 no. Yeah, no, in like the in the, like the, the no, fictional I've always... space surrounding. Do you? I mean, do you, have you always mentioned that the Crypt Keeper could like perch on your shoulder like an like an especially large stinky parrot, or do you think that he was like uh... basically like human sized? Because if you believe that he's tiny, then do you think that all these, like, weird little guillotines and, and electric chairs... Are, are they like, miniature? Yeah, are they, like, doll electric chairs that he's interacting with? Well, when he sits in a chair, like, he's small. He's, like, he's like constant, like, kid at the, di- at, the t- at the adult table for Thanksgiving. 
Like, yeah. like tables come up to like come up to like mid chest on him. So, yeah, I guess I kind of always knew that he was a little. Right. It's just very highlighted when he moves around how like weird it is that he's so little. Because I mean, we see him like wield cutlery and knives and butcher uh, like 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 meat cleavers and stuff. And they but to be fair, to be fair, th- those are adult sized human hands controlling those things. Right. I'm just saying that like I feel like yeah I feel I I I agree with you in that I think that he is small, but like I thought he was like 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 four feet five feet not 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 toddler sized. <laughs> Which is much more upsetting. Super upsetting. No puppet. That does make me wonder how big the books he's interacting with are then. Well, are these like... massive tomes that he's like heaving around actually just normal sized like trade paperback comic like a collection? Like a, like a Nancy size of a Nancy Drew hardback? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe. I do kind of like the idea that like maybe he's like a foot tall. So maybe it's like, maybe it's like something, it's like an American girl doll sized Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Um, oh wait, we, do we, oh, so the bumpers. Uh, anything else? About the no, bumpers? That's, that's good. John Kassir, bang up job. Support him. Follow the Amazon affiliate John, link. John, John he probably like, got like John a boat Kassir? payment or something. Tom's like, John Kassir, my very, very best friend. <laughs> It may seem like I'm contractually obligated to name check him. I am not at present, but I am, uh, John, I am willing to. I would love John. to be, John. Um, John Kazir, who I wish was my sister, or I could be his sister, whatever he wants. John, John, instead of, Mary, instead Mary, earmuffs, earmuffs. John, you, you want to host the show with me? It's fine. We can, we can, we can talk about. You know, you can pretend that you're my brother, and we can. I'll just, I'll walk you through, give you John's uh, you, You'll, you'll, you'll we'll be me, Mary, and I'll be Mary. Right the hell out. You can start coming with Christmas and Thanksgiving. No problems, all right, man. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. <laughs> so what did you think? Of, so we've, we're wrapping up our first season. It feels a little bit like <laughs> stolen valor since it's only six episodes long, but it's yeah. an accomplishment nonetheless. How did you feel about the first season? I feel like the first season is, um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed Tales from the Crypt. I feel like it, there are some highs and lows, um, but I did think uh, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of weird, I think, because the what we think of, uh, there, there is no one episode that I would point to as being everything that I think stereotypically represents Tales from the Crypt. You know, like a sort of uh, blood and guts slasher aesthetic, some... Like an um, Aesop's Fables with like a bare boob and yeah, lots yeah, we, of yeah, gore. We, we, yeah, with, with some boobs and maybe a chainsaw or something. Yeah, and there really yeah, isn't yeah. any one episode that is that. Um, I think maybe the closest thing is kind of an all through the house. Maybe? Um, no, but yeah, but no. Right, right. It's, uh, it's kind of weird. I I think it's hard for us to say how probably groundbreaking being able to like, you know, cuss and say th- and, and show things that you probably couldn't show um, in uh, on, you know, normal television was at the time. Like an like a like a bear, a bear keeper's feet. Right. That's right. Or like or like what's his name's bottom in uh, in the uh, So I Married an Axe Murder episode. Oh yeah, just man buns mm. and the uh, the uh, the Guns and Roses style love making that follows. Um, but I, I feel like the um, it, 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 I I enjoyed it. It's it's a little bit, it's kind of a weird it's a weird collection of of shows and stories. Uh, and it's hard to think if this was if you were presenting this today. I don't know that anybody would renew it. Um, I disagree. Well, I mean, like, obviously, well, if you're presenting this today, like, it would be different, right? Like, they, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like would, HBO right. now exists, like, Game of Thrones exists. Like, it, it would be quite different. Right, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's kind of a, it's 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 a sort of meta question. It's, you know, if Seinfeld was on right now, would comedy, like, you know. <laughs> no, because it's, it's utter Look, garbage. Look, if Robert yeah. E. Lee had a Piper Cub, would Gettysburg have gone down the way <laughs> that it did? Would anyone vote for Ulysses S. Grant nowadays? Right. Um, How would... I think the, the founding, if the founding fathers were here today, mostly they would be freaked out about cars <laughs> and equal rights. <laughs> yeah, totally. They would be amazed by light switches. If the founding fathers were here today, they wouldn't be because they would all be wearing Tommy Bahama shorts, but still carrying swords and cutting off their own butts. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But um, but I, I think it's um, I don't know. It, it's I, I feel like now now. Even with anthology series, there's usually supposed to be some sort of like meta narrative or uh, hyper continuity or something, um, which we don't, we don't have here. 
Um, but I think it's I think it's sort of I think it's sort of a mixed bag, and I think it's fun. I think we're off to a good start. But I also kind of feel like the the show is still a little bit going to find its voice in the episodes to come, uh, to sort of see what what it was that eventually typified the series. Maybe I'm kind of curious. I wonder if I wonder if there is like like totally classic tales from the crypt episodes. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, or is it? Or like, is it? Yeah, like when it? I think about the ones that I can specifically remember, none of them really fall into that category. I, I mean, like I I have sort of like a a general idea of what they what they would look like. Like if I was gonna like draw like a cartoon of Tales from the Crypt, I think I could. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think it's more of like just like a general like it's like it's like Santa Claus. It's not a it's not a a man. It's a feeling. Like mm-hmm. it's like. You, you get you get sort of the sense of it. It's 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 pulpy platitudes, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think because I think even though we 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 have talked about something that's very hyper specific, I mean, basically what it really is is sort of like trashy morality plays is what Trails from the Crypt sort of eventually is supposed to become. Yeah, I don't know, but I I actually really was impressed by the range. I kind of one of yeah. my one of my concerns when we started the show is I was like, oh man, are we gonna like have a, like runs of episodes where it's where it, we're going to be talking about the same sorts of things over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I kind of am impressed by how like there is sort of connective tissue between them. There is like I think you could I think you could like write out sort of a philosophical standpoint that is Tales from the Crypt. But I don't I don't think like they kind of cover like a lot of different things and as a person who like kind of like loves genres I like how much of like a mix they kind of got in here. You know, you have like a southern gothic tale, you have like homestead dramas, you have holiday slashers. It's it's fun. It's very yeah, fun. No, I I would agree with that. Yes, it's it's a little bit all over the place, and that man <clears throat> that may be ultimately what 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 sold it. And I think that is fun and enjoyable. Maybe I'll walk it back. I'm just saying that I I just wonder if this is a little bit like. Um, like Seinfeld or Shakespeare or something where you're, where everything that's come after it has been a little bit like it. So when you, uh, when you, when you think about it, you're like, would, would people think this was new and fresh now? Of course not, because everyone has taken what, what's fun and good about it and, and yeah, used and expand, it and expanded yeah. on it. But yeah. I will say that, um, I feel like four out of six of the first episodes are good and that's a pretty good, that's pretty good odds for, for a first season, yeah. a short season. But it's good. Like yeah. Black Mirror for me does not hit that that sort of percentage. Sure. Yeah. Of hits I, versus misses. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that more people would t- people will tell you that that's a much classier show than this. And I think uh, these episodes probably show greater range than Black Mirror does as well in terms of uh, genre tone, the look of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I see your game, you rogue. Yeah, I invoked Black Mirror, which, as you, as I, which I know you love to say, you only like two episodes per season. If even that, maybe like one. All right. Well, so I mean, I kind of, I kind of tipped my hand early. I think this is a great episode. Um, let's rate it. I gave sure. it uh, five, four out of five awkward bathroom interactions. <laughs> I give it. Um, I'll give it three and a half golden hammer and sickles. So did you look at your ratings for the whole season? I did. It's going to be hard to do that going forward since we're going to get into proper seasons that have like 20 episodes each. But like I would rate this on on the same level as um, as uh, the man who was deaf. Oh, wow. I I, I gave the same rating. And I think Uh that's probably about right. Like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as much. (laughs) The story and the like it sort of has, I would say. I would say, like, they're flip sides of the same coin. Like, I think that The Man Who Is Death was, like, a really good story mm-hmm. and told well the platitude it's offering and the, like, kind of the way that the story, like, the genre and the way the story is told is not my is not my very favorite, whereas sure. this is more of my favorite. Mm-hmm. But I think that I think that the um, the execution of it is not as successful. So I think that they, they kind of even each other out for me. They fall into the same, the same, uh, the same grouping for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't agree. I think Man of Death is better, but uh, I, I feel what you're saying. So, Mary, now, now that we're at the end of the season, do you know, you know what happens next week? 
I sure don't. Do we just dive into season two like little like little soldiers? Oh, nice. You, you, you practiced. It's so good. The rehearsal was well spent. No, oh, next time we'll leap ahead to 1995 for the first official Tales from the Crypt movie. Demon Knight. Good versus evil. Zane versus Sadler. Johnston versus Johnston. Stay tuned. What? You don't like Jade Pinkett Smith? <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, as always, um, you can follow our Amazon affiliate link in our show description and purchase the Tales from the Crypt DVDs or just follow the link and it will still work. You can use it to buy toilet paper or whatever. But definitely buy the DVDs. But also definitely buy the DVDs because... John Cassier. <laughs> very best friend John Cassier will not get any kickbacks from your rampant Amazon toilet paper purchases. I mean, I guess we don't like a hundred percent know that <laughs> well you're right i mean but we certainly wouldn't know what brand what brand he's uh he's shilling for <laughs> also, the voice of the brawny man <laughs> brawny man thomas i have terrible news about your toilet paper it's paper towels <laughs> That is dire. Oh my god, that is so dire. Oh, there's nothing worse. There would be literally nothing worse than sitting down on a toilet, looking to like in a stranger's home, looking to the side, and then instead of a toilet paper roll holder, they have a paper towel roller. Is it more horrifying if it's a full size paper towel roll, or if it's a paper towel roll that's been cut down so as to fit? Oh man, full. I mean, full size. Because those are people who are like, we prefer this. This is our choice. We're not Cut. in denial. As always, thank you for listening to Crypt Keepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars preferred. Um, be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt dash creepers to see our show nights and find other excellent podcasts. Till next time, kitties. Remember... If you run into John Kassir in the streets, make sure you give him a round of applause for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>